going on everybody welcome to another edition of the mad nucleus podcast i'm your host justin felton and for those that don't know i'm your host justin felton and thank you all for listening and don't forget to sign up to anchor or spotify all you need is an email and a password and you're in there man so let's get this party started all right as the title says This is the 30th anniversary today. This very day is the 30th anniversary of a debut album called Dead Serious released by hip-hop duo Daz FX. On April 7th of this day, Daz FX released their debut album entitled Dead Serious. And folks... You know, if I'm doing a podcast about this, it means it's a classic. Without bounds, it's a classic. And let's dabble into it, shall we? Give me a second. As I get the information up for you. Here we are. Okay. Here we go. All right. Dead Serious is the debut studio album of American hip-hop duo Daz FX. Released April 7th, 1992 on compact disc and audio cassette on the East West Records and distributed through Atlantic Records. Recording sessions for the album took place at Firehouse Studios in Brooklyn. That's a, that's a legendary studio, by the way. And it also took place at Charlie Mariota's North Shore Soundworks Studio in Long Island, New York. All right, let's dabble into the info. Released April 7th, 1992. Recorded from February 1991 to January 1992. Firehouse Studios, North Shore Studio, Soundworks, got all that. Genre hip-hop. The album is barely over a half hour long because it only has about 10 songs. It has eight or nine songs, as a matter of fact. And let's see, East West labels. But why doesn't it have Atlantic Records listed up there? You know? Also, Daz Effects is a part of the Hit Squad crew that comprises of EPMD. You know, Eric Sermon and Parrish Smith, Redman, K Solo. And who else? I forgot it's somebody else, but that that group, that those group of people, and uh Eric Eric Sermon, you know, produced and executive produced this album. The album was a certified hit, peaking at 16 on the US Billboard 200 charts, topping at topping the top RB and hip hop album charts for five weeks straight and reaching platinum sales by 1993. Y'all don't understand the impact of this album, man. I'm, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to tell y'all why. 
for those that do remember and don't remember. But this is more so for the do- those that don't remember or don't realize. Okay. Well received upon its release, Dead Serious has since been regarded by music writers as a significant and influential album. Let's dab, dive deep into the background. Dabble in it if you will. Group member William Scoob Hines was raised in the neighborhood of Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Andre Crazy Dre's Weston, born in Jamaica, came to the United States as a child growing up in Union City and Teaneck, New Jersey. Both rapped during their high school years. Hines was the group's future producer with the group's future producer, Derek Lynch's brother, Tony. However, Lynch was Hines' DJ first and would not begin producing until later. Hines and Weston began performing together after they met at Virginia State University in 1988. So, um, my homie is a Virginia State alum. And he should be proud listening to this. When he hears this, he's going to be shocked. And I told him this years ago, but uh, he probably forgot. But now that he knows that he's a BSU alum, they, they're both BSU alums. Hines and Weston met their freshman year on a road trip to another college through a mutual friend. According to Weston, the two became a duo after winning a campus contest, which Hines suggested they enter together. Hines and Weston began, a, began to work with Brooklyn-based producers Chris Charity and Derek Lynch, both friends of Hines from high school, who had formed a production team using the name Solid Scheme Music at the time. According to Hines, aside from Clap Your Hands and They Want Effects, which was produced by Weston and he, all of the other instrumental tracks on the album were produced by Charity and Lynch. That just goes to show you, Eric Sermon was just the overseer. He really didn't produce a whole lot on this album, I think. Around this time, the group came up with its name, which Weston noted was mostly Heinz's idea. The name stemmed from an acronym of the two's nicknames, Scoob and Dre. And effects from their constantly wanting their producers to add reverb to their vocals when they were in the studio. So it was sad effects for a minute. But that didn't really make much sense. So we changed it to Daz effects. Reverse the names. Reverse the names. Sad spelled backwards is Daz. D-A-S. Daz Effects, I like it. One of the best names, in my opinion, in hip-hop, you know, to come up with. Going on. Hines recalled much of the group's early material as being primitive, stating that the production on our early stuff didn't come up to par until Clap Your Hands. A producer named Dex, also from Crown Heights, produced Clap Your Hands for the group. In early 1991... Hines and Weston heard that EPMD would be hosting a talent show at Club Tropicana in Richmond, Virginia, and decided to enter. Hines and Weston performed their song Clap Your Hands, which they recorded as a demo with Dex. In fact, for the album, Hines and Weston had to rhyme over the demo for Clap Your Hands because they didn't have an instrumental version of the music. The group apparently had the highest score in the contest, which earned the winner a $100 prize. However, according to Weston, although the duo had the highest score, Parrish Smith, one half of the group EPMD, told the club announcer to give the second best group the prize. 
while the winning group went up to claim their prize, Smith came to Hines and Weston and said, yo, what you guys rather have, a record deal or $100? Meet me in the back of the club in five minutes. Smith and Eric Sermon, the other mem- member of EPMD, met with Hines and Weston in the back of the club and asked the two to play them the Clap Your Hands track again. Sermon and Smith were so impressed by the song that they asked Hines and Weston for the tape, with Smith telling them, if you can get us nine more songs like the one you just performed, we can get you a deal. Hines and Weston kept in touch with EPMD during their junior year in college, finishing out the school year in May. Going on. In 1991, the group was signed to EPMD's GMC Records or GMC Production and Management Company and became part of their hit squad collaborative, Collective of Protégés. The material for their first album was recorded at Firehouse Studios in Brooklyn and EPMD's production home base, Charlie Mariota's North Shore Soundworks Studio in Long Island. The duo would send EPMD, who were touring the country at the time, the material they were recording for guidance. The group, who were also courted by Job Records at the time, were finally signed in late 1991 to the Atlantic Records subsidiary East West Records. Okay. Yep, in a nutshell, that was their background. Dre and Scoob did not grow up together, but they met at BSU performing in talent shows and killing the game there. You know, this was years before Skills. Mad Skills himself got on the scene and put Richmond and BA on the map. Even he would tell you, you know, it was probably a joy and a treat to see them dudes perform live before we even knew who they was. All right, let's talk about the music side of it. Due to being removed from an active music scene, the two MCs were free to develop their most idiosyncratic tendencies musically. According to Weston, the group's lyrical style stemmed from the two not being able to listen to New York hip-hop on the radio in Virginia. That's that's not true. That's all they played in Virginia was, you know, New York hip-hop at the time. That 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 isn't true, unless that that station up in Richmond was just whack. Cause what what the fuck was they playing? What in blue hell was they playing then? Whatever they was playing, that shit was whack. Weston stated that except for Brand Nubian, we weren't influenced by what was going on in New York. Basically, we wanted to be different and we wanted to be dope like Brand Nubian. So instead of being, instead of saying, I got a lot of balls, we'd say, I got more nuts than a baby roof. <laughs> yeah, man. They, they always said stuff like that in their records. Hines also felt being away from the environment helped their personal artistic growth. We just wasn't exposed to that many styles at the time. So it helped us form our own. Hines and Weston would make up gibberish words, adding iggity after many of them, which would eventually become their signature. The group also had a tendency to weave many pop culture references in their rhymes. Yes, they did. They used they were always like every other rhyme. It would be a pop cultural reference. I noticed that. I mean, this is what makes this group so unique when they added iggity and 
when they would add pop cultural references and they would add anything. And I thought, uh, you know, Common and the Woo and, you know, some of these acts was 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 slick with it. But no, nah, I think Daz Effects was even more slicker with it. Though many have assumed that EPMD produced the music on the album because of their executive production credit, Weston stated in, in the studio back then it was just me, Scoob, Chris, and Derek, and that was it. EPMD didn't produce us. We were just uh, with their production company. A lot of people forgot that. Weston referred to Charity, who died in the year 2000 as the brains of the operation, definitely. He was definitely the boss and the real executive producer of the first album. We'd have meetings at his crib in Brooklyn and we was running things. So, yeah, that's something that probably people that included myself didn't realize that, yeah, EPMD may have put them on, giving them their first deal, but they were not in the studio. They were not giving input. They were not there because EPMD at the time was red hot. EPMD was one of the best groups in music at the time. They were red hot. They had put out about four albums. They were touring. And then that same year, some point that same year in 1992, they broke up. That, I'm going to save that for another podcast, but a lot of people probably did not know that. And I did not know that EPMD didn't have any input at all. They were just executive producers because they put them on. And I think as uh, common courtesy... Uh -huh. You know, Zaz Effect said, okay, cool. Y'all gave us the deal. We'll put you on as executive producers, but they couldn't have gotten anywhere without them. So, you know, it was kind of like, you know, win, 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 loss, whatever. All right. The reception and the influence. All music gave it, of course, five stars. Robert Christigal, one star? Or a star without the orange lighting on it? I don't know what he, what he didn't... Rap, rap reviews, 9 out of 10. The Source, 4 out of 5. Spin, favorable. Trouser Press, favorable. Understand something. Um, Hip-hop was still young and growing. And there was so much more to explore. So many styles. You know, stuff was still different back then. You know, hip-hop at the time was maybe about 15 or 16 years old. It was going on being 20 years old, sometime like that, and it was still so much to explore. And what better time to come out at in hip-hop was the late 80s or the early 90s. Some a little sooner, some a little later, but, you know, it wasn't nothing like 90s hip-hop, man. 80s hip-hop was great. 90s hip-hop was the pinnacle for me. Dead Serious caused an immediate sensation upon its release in March 1992. March? Well, this was early press releases. So March 1992, the album went platinum on the strength of the singles Mike Checker and the top 40 pop hit They Want Effects by 1993. Giving it a 4 out of 5 mic rating, the source... Maddie C compared the duo's lyrical style to that of Buster Rhymes, Tretch, and EPMD writing. Not only have they innovated a new rhyme flow that expands on these styles, but they have brought back fun-filled hip-hop. Hmm. 
the source, see, the source back then had prestige and weight in the industry, more respect than it later did, you know. The source after about 99, 2000 kind of lost its edge. But when they had Maddie C, he pretty much summed it up perfectly. Every time he reviewed an album, you agree with it because when you listen to it, they were your words exactly and not so many words, but he always summed it up perfectly in context. Ronan Rowe of Spin complimented that their hard lyrics that simultaneously perplex, captivate, annoy, and amuse, televised, induce, schizophrenic, lyrical wit. <laughs> not for the average year. I mean, I don't think they were hard to listen to. They were, they, they, they were just different. In his consumer guide for the Village Voice critic Robert Christigal gave the album an honorable mention, Black Star Rating, indicating a worthy effort consumers attuned to its overriding aesthetic of individual vision may well like. Yeah. In retros re retrospective review, Rat Reviews writer Steve Wine described the album as 10 tracks jam-packed with dopeness and commended Dye's effects for merging pop culture and pop, uh, punchlines, beat poet scat, and hip-hop style and creating a free-form lyrical jazz in the process. Ira Robbins of Trou Trouser Press called it a monstrously entertaining debut and wrote that they don't push the topical envelope. Any geography, rhyming, and sexting are pretty much the alpha omega of their menu. Fortunately, the pair's rereading of old news yields fresh and funny angles. All music Stanton... Sweetheart, swear, whatever his name is or their name is, gave the album five out of five stars and noted that the duo's lightning fast, tongue twisted word association and stream of consciousness rants rich in hip hop cultural references and allusions. Stewart elaborated on its initial appeal and subsequent influence of, in hip hop, stating the album wasn't just appealing. It was also enormously influential, ushering in an entirely unique rhyme and flow that influenced any member of rappers, established and novice alike. Their lyrics are about as far removed from hardcore realism as they could possibly be. And although there are certain elements of boasting, it is so cut up and contorted that it never sounds like there's even a hint of the humdrum here. Hmm. It was a completely different original rhyming style in 1992. One of the reasons it had such an impact both in the insular world of hip-hop and on the wider public, but it also had an invigorating looseness that lent itself to commercial radio. Stanton Stewart. They, they, they misspelled his name earlier in the evening. But Stanton Stewart, not Swagger Hard or whatever it was, wrote that. Speaking on the duo's impact, Hines stated that he felt what we were doing brought a twist to the game without watering anything down. I agree with that myself. He, he's right, you know. And it was an honor watching them uh, perform live 
in my hometown. If you were only hearing our stuff, radio stuff, you had one impression of us. But if you got the album, then you realize there was a lot of lot more depth to there. Yeah. That's why I always say it's crazy when I'm a you know, when I would talk music with people and stuff way back in the day, people would get a CD for one song. And it's usually that one song that they heard on the radio or saw the music video for. They never got the, the CD to hear the whole album. And I can remember those days at The Wall and Sam Goody that, um, they let you listen to the full album, not just not just um um you know the thirty second samples, but or a minute sample, but you can listen to the whole album in the store. When something came out, you know you had the option of listening to it, and we wouldn't be in the store very long, mind you. We would be in the store maybe twenty minutes and stuff. But if something new came out, we would listen to it. And we would look at each other because me and my boy, we would do this back in the day when the when 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 the wall was up, and we would listen to it. And we would be like, okay, this is dope. This song's dope. Not so much with this song. This song's dope. Okay, this album is dope. At least half of the songs on the album got to sound dope for us to pick up on them. If it was a sixteen track LP, you know, eight of those tracks, seven or eight of those tracks had to be dope. For him, he would say four songs. For me, I'm like, if it's 16 tracks, it depends on how many tracks. If it's if it's um if it's 10 songs and four songs are really dope, then okay. But 12 songs, at least six. 16 songs, eight. If it's a double CD, come on, man. A whole CD is worth. And that's what I'ma say about that. Track listening. All tracks produced. By solid scheme, except for what was noted. All right, microphone checker. This was the second single off the album. This single dropped July 16th, 1992. Chart performance at the U.S. Hot Dance Music Maxi Singles, it was at number 10. At the U.S. Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles and Tracks, it was 22. Hot rap singles, U.S. hot rap singles, it was number one. So this took over the summer of 1992 in one chart at number one. Next up is Just Some Men. I love that song, man. Just Some Men that's on the mic. They, they used the Slick Rick sample as their chorus on it. You know, it's Just Some Men that's on the mic, and then they use a guitar riff on it. Number three is one of the most popular songs ever in music, not just hip-hop. They Want Effects. This is their debut single off of this album. Dropped March 5th, 1992. Usually, like I said before in the other podcast, singles, uh, songs you would hear a month, two months before the actual single drops. Same thing, they would play all of the album songs like a few weeks before the album drops itself. But I remember hearing this way back when in 1992 and just was like, what is this? And it just had people dancing and bopping their head and trying to learn the words and stuff like that. Dre and school was on something. 
at the charts. U.S. Billboard Hot 100, it was peaked at 25. U.S. Dance Club songs, 29. Hot R&B and hip-hop songs, number five. Hot rap singles, number one again. It took over the winter and spring of 1992. And at the U.S. R&B and hot rap songs, it was 50 by years in. I mean, that, that song was... It's a timeless song. It's, it's dope. It's a timeless classic. Number four is Lucy's. Yep. Number five is Dum Dums. Number six is East Coast. Number seven is is If Only. Man, I love that song. If only if you done it like this. Hit it. Number eight is Brooklyn the T-Neck. Where Dre and Scrooge are from. Number nine is Clap Your Hands. Their first song they ever recorded. And they finally got, gave it some clarity. Number 10 is their third single called Straight Out the Sewer. It was released on November 19th, 1992. In chart performance, Hot Dance Music Maxi Single Sales, 35. Hot R&B Singles, 66. Hot Rap Singles, number three. Probably not their most popular song, but it was dope. It was definitely kind of dark dope. You know, they dove into a darker element on it, but that was probably the only song where they went dark at. More nothing, you know, deep or nothing like that, but, you know, they just switched it up a bit. So, you know, that's how it go. You know, it's chart history. Uh, the U.S. Billboard 200, it peaked at 16. Top R&B and hip-hop albums, it was number one. U.S. Billboard 200, it was 78. U.S. Top R&B Hip-Hop Albums, number 16. And, of course, we already went through the singles. You know, they, they had dropped three singles off the album. So, in retrospect, this album, when you listen to this, this is 10 tracks of music. You'd be like, wow. You know, no, but no bonus tracks. There should be more. There should be more. But you got to understand something. These dudes are fresh into the game. They were looking to make an impact. And them releasing 17, 18 tracks was kind of risky. But it worked. You desired more. You desired four, five, six more songs off of this album. It worked. You desired more. You wanted more. You wanted to hear more. You couldn't wait for their second album. You couldn't hate, wait to hear them again on somebody else's album, whether they were performing on a soundtrack or whatever. You couldn't wait to hear these dudes again. And, you know, I'm grateful for this album. I love it. I suggest y'all give it a listen because April 7th, today, is the debut album. Of Daz Effects Dead Serious. 30 years ago today, April 7th, 1992. I recommend you go listen to it. Lay back, relax, have a good time. And that's it. And this concludes our podcast for today. The Mad Nucleus Podcast. And thank you all for listening. And I see y'all all again. Until then, peace. I'm out. Tear my nose off, pick it to play, or to Jamaica, yo, I pick it to burn, pick it to rubber when I
I blabber, crack, I make it back, don't wonder, twins, the actor, fake, it's crazy, I'm freaking the breaking backs, I'm busting lips, I freaking the creep, that the snipe, and those freaking pips and shrimps, I'm making it make enough noise like bam bam, throw boulders from bedrock, you'll get drunk, I slam man, so second, I'm freaking the record quick, oh, shucks, I give it the guy, big nuts, like daddy, poor, bucks, oh, Anna, I'm freaking the rock, the coke, or cabana, banana, split, hot, hook, spit, toast, hit, I'm freaking the freaking from here, the bank, up the desk, I'm freaking the ripping blast, but I get spread like this. I'm savage, I shake them up and down like the Dow Jones average. I'm cocky like Rocky, I pick the bangs the best.